Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Foreign Affairs Minister confirms that Canada will reopen its embassy in Kiev. I can already uh, confirm you that Larisa Galadza, who was our uh, ambassador to Ukraine and stationed in the south of Poland, will be uh, going back. Uh, that's clearly uh, our objective. Now I'm looking in terms of days to make sure that we can make that announcement. The Liberals will look at the Canada Health Act to make sure abortion rights are protected. The freedom of a woman to choose belongs to her and her alone. In Canada, every woman has a right to a safe and legal abortion. And this government will never back down on defending and promoting women's rights in Canada and around the world. And a Conservative senator says Canada's abortion debate is settled. For myself, it's something behind us. And I, need, I know that there's some MPs want to revive that subject, but for us, it's, uh, it's dead. And so uh, we hope that the new leader will, will put a, a nail on that, uh, on that subject. It's Thursday, May the 5th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So there are a lot of people talking about how Canada needs to do more in Ukraine and, and people suggesting, even Ukrainian politicians, saying that Justin Trudeau and Christia Freeland should go to Kyiv. Um, Melanie Jolie, the foreign affairs minister, yesterday uh, confirmed that Canada will be reopen, reopening its embassy there. Um what what else should Canada be doing, and and is that the reopening of the embassy? Is that an important step? I mean, I guess the Ukrainians are keen to get symbolic support from countries all around the world, and we've seen uh, we've seen Boris Johnson there, for example, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, various other European countries have visited. Even Nancy Pelosi, the U.S. House Speaker, was in Kiev uh, last weekend. So it's kind of odd that senior Canadian politicians have not yet visited. It's even more odd that the embassy is not yet open. It seems that uh, the capital is fairly safe, certainly safe enough for Nancy Pelosi to visit. So this is something that the, the Ukrainians would like, and I think there will be visits. I'm not quite sure why Canada is being as cautious as it is. But I think the real issue is material support. And Canada, Canada has done so much following in footsteps of the U.S. It's, deliver, it's uh, delivered four howitzers, which I think is, a, is a, given Canada's inventory, is a pretty uh, reasonable starting point. But it's not an end point. And I think that more heavy weapons, it certainly are, uh, it seems inexplicable to me why we have not started sending uh, armored vehicles. Now, we, we, we have ordered eight armored vehicles to be newly built, but they'll take some time. But we have existing uh, LAVs, the, the vehicles that are made in London, Ontario, that, that served very well in Afghanistan, and, and uh, people from Rick Hillier to Mark Norman have told me that these things are available, they, they operate very well. The Canadian position has been that they, the Ukrainians don't know how to work them. And well, Norman's suggestion was send them the manual, they'll work it out. Uh, so I think you know, we've, got, we've literally got 600 of these things. They are not all needed by the Canadian military right now, and we should be sending more of them. 
All right, let's turn to the issue of abortion and how the leaked draft decision from the U.S. Supreme Court uh, has become a political issue in Canada. Uh, there's There's been a lot of debate and discussion, and a lot of politicians have been answering questions about the issue over the last couple of days. It's made its way into the conservative leadership race as well. Uh, we'll talk more about the leadership race in a moment, but... The government has said it's going to look at the Canada Health Act to make sure that abortion rights are protected. Uh, There are people saying the issue's already been settled, including some conservatives who have said that. Um, But there has certainly been a lot of talk about it, and there is still no abortion law in Canada. So what is the state of the discussion, and, and what do you think the ultimate outcome will be of this renewed uh, focus on this issue? Well, I don't think anything good can come from it. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, it doesn't mean anything legislatively for, for Canada. We may see some more American women coming to Canada for abortions, but but that's about the size of it. You know, this is a huge political hornet's nest. And the Liberals are quite happy to talk about it because it makes the Conservatives un, uncomfortable. And we know that the Liberal caucus is by and large pro-choice. That was a condition that its candidates have run under under Justin Trudeau, similarly with the NDP. I mean, there are still some pro-life uh, Liberal MPs, but it's a it's a handful and they were grandfathered because they were there when, when Trudeau came in. Um, the Conservative caucus is clearly much more mixed. The, the edict went out when this news broke that uh, Conservatives were not to talk about it. Some of them couldn't help themselves saying that the debate has always been open. But, you know, Canada's got a, a, a muddled settlement on this, but it is it has been a settlement that has survived for 30-odd years now. Many people would argue it's much better that these decisions are made by doctors rather than by the courts. And, uh, you know, I think that the, the less that's said about it, the better, quite frankly. Um, inevitably, this is going to spill over, but, but I think it's being used political end rather than actually finding a solution because I don't think that reopening the whole debate and actually legislating on it or introducing legislation is going to be good for Canada at a time when we're already divided on so many other issues. Right. So let's talk about the Conservative leadership race. Um, Tonight, five of the six candidates who are vying for the Conservative leadership are going to be on the same stage in a debate organized by the Canada Strong and Free Network, formerly the Manning Institute. They're having their annual conference that happens every year in Ottawa. And uh, we're going to see everyone except Patrick Brown uh, participating in this debate. There are other debates coming up this month as well, in which all the candidates are expected to participate. So uh, this is this is the first time we're seeing a debate. What do you expect from that, and what impact do you think it'll have on the race? Well, we're going to see five of the candidates. It seems very strange to me that Patrick Brown doesn't uh, take part. I mean, it's a very strange strategy not to be in the public eye with your, uh, the people you're running against. Uh, strange that he doesn't want to do uh, mainstream media interviews. I can't frankly see how that strategy works for him. And... He's a key figure in this race because I think if Jean Charest is going to have any chance against Pierre Poiliev in the final analysis, he is going to need a strong performance from Patrick Brown and for a lot of those people to come over uh, if and when Brown falls off the, the rank ballot. I think it's realistically only two candidates 
are serious candidates here, and we may see some of that tonight if there are questions asked in French. The reason being because only two of them can speak French. And I think uh, to be a, a, a candidate for prime minister in this country, you need to have a reasonable facility with French because you are going to be in a French language debate apart from anything else. And yeah. you can't afford to give up Quebec and, and have a realistic shot at uh, winning the country. So there'll be that. I think it will be interesting to see the Poiliev-Charest square off. I mean, it's, it's always difficult in a debate when there are five people on the stage to... to uh, to have a, a, a kind of one-on-one time. But, you know, Charest is an experienced and able debater, as is Poiliev. Um But I think what we've seen so far is that, you know, Charest's come into, back into politics after a decade out, and he's been bamboozled by the fact that politics has changed and the methods of campaigning have changed with the advent of social media. And it has played into Poiliev's hands because he's been able to say, pretty outrageous things about how he's going to cure all the ills of the country in areas that are quite often not federal jurisdiction. This kind of levels the playing field a little bit. This is back to traditional politics, and it's about about the ability to be able to think quickly on your feet. And I think it will... Um, I don't expect... Well, you have to blow up. He's, a, an extremely, he's extremely quick in his feet. He's probably the best debater in the House of Commons that the Conservatives have. But I think it does give Sheree a chance to prove that he is uh, not yesterday's man. Hmm. And do you think do you think it's largely going to be about Poiliev and Sheree tonight? Well, I think from the media's point of view, it will be certainly from my point of view. I'm looking at that. I mean, I I, I have all the time in the world for Scott Aitchison. I think he's a very uh, decent and able politician. And I say his French is a work in progress, and he's probably not well enough known to make an impact. Um, Leslyn Lewis is, has clearly got a constituency, and it will be an important constituency, and it will have a bearing on who eventually wins, but she's not a realistic contender to win the leadership. You know, we talked earlier about the the uh, abortion issue. I don't see it having such a bearing on the debate, because both Poliev and Sheree have declared themselves pro-choice, and clearly Lewis is vocally pro-life. I don't think that equation changes with the, with the news that's broken in the last uh, last week or so. So it, it it will be of interest. I think the, the, as we get closer to the the um, the vote or the cutoff, and uh, all the candidates on stage will be more interesting. But uh, but certainly I'll be tuning in tonight. Yeah. All right, John. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. The freedom of a woman to choose belongs to her and her alone. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Montreal Gazette, Martine Saint-Victoire argues the abortion question could reopen a culture war in Canada. She writes, Soon after the U.S. Supreme Court leaked, the Conservative Party of Canada instructed its members of Parliament to stay mum on abortion. And while most Canadians identify as pro-choice, I fear the culture war reopening the abortion question might unleash. What we now are certain of is that some political parties thrive on polarization. It's unbecoming, but it yields results. At National Newswatch, Glenn Pearson considers the West's changing approach to the war in Ukraine. Pearson writes, While the fear of Vladimir Putin's threat to use the nuclear option remains a cause of great concern, it no longer has the effect 
of paralyzing the Western response. This is partly due to the worry of what the Russian leader will take on next should he succeed in Ukraine. Any attempt to extend his grip beyond Ukraine will have severe consequences for the rest of the world. The intent now seems to be to take more significant risks and halt the Russian assault so that it can't be used as a staging point for more substantial military and political designs by Putin. In the Toronto Star, Armin Yalnizian argues we are not recession-ready. She writes, We're on a tightrope, swinging from a strong but temporary rebound from the pandemic to a softening, perhaps faltering economy. So why not just bring back CERB when recession hits? Because it was too generous to be fiscally sustainable over the long run. EI is not fit for purpose either. With less than 4 in 10 jobless workers able to access it, it's too stingy. We need a system that meets the needs of the majority of the unemployed and helps businesses and those lucky enough to avoid layoff. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting before speaking with the President-elect of South Korea. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the Cabinet meeting and question period. Environment Minister Stephen Gilboa will announce a new project and highlight the expansion of the Low Carbon Economy Fund. To kick off Asian Heritage Month, International Trade Minister Mary Ng will host the United States Trade Representative Catherine Tai in Ottawa and Toronto. And Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc will make an announcement regarding cultural infrastructure in Calgary. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, May the 5th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.